White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 595. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. All right, we are back. It is almost New Year's Eve. We're a few hours away from New Year's Eve. I am Van Allen Plexico. This is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Andy Fix. Hello, Andy. How are you? Good, Van. How are you doing? Happy holidays to you, buddy. Yeah. Have you had a good uh, holiday season so far? It, I had a wonderful holiday season. I cannot complain at all. We, we celebrate Hanukkah and we celebrate Christmas, so I'm kind of double dipping in, in my household, so it's it's always a good thing. And, of course, we had the Book of Boba Fett just yesterday, so it's it's a good good time to be alive. It really is. I mean, yeah, um, Boba Fett's starting. The Expanse is still going on. Wheel of Time just wrapped up. Foundation just wrapped up. Oh, I just um, – there's just so much – uh, uh, the Witcher dropped very recently. Yep. I still have a couple more to go on that. This is a good time to be alive, not just if you like great movies, but t- TV fans, fans of good TV, and obviously the people that listen to our show are fans of good television because it's Babylon 5. And there's so many good shows out there right now. This is just really is the goal. This is like the platinum age of television right now for us, for us geeky geeky folks. I I, I agree, and I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the shows that would be or a lot of the the properties that would be movies are getting sent to streaming tv mm-hmm. um it, it's just the 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 movies are more and more just the big budget blowouts and tv is where we get the the quieter better story uh just with the marvel i the the marvel shows and the star wars tv shows those have both been just spectacular stuff um so yeah like the Wheel of Time and The Witcher both work so much better on television. Um, I, 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 I can't even imagine The Wheel of Time being done as, in, in the movie um, because there is just so much story there. So, yeah, it's uh, it, like you said, it is the platinum age of TV because that's where a lot of the, the storytelling money is going now. And and I failed to mention Hawkeye, which just, just wrapped up, too. So that's another really big one. Yeah, so that was... I, that was spect- Hawkeye. All four of the Marvel TV shows so far have have told. Well, this is for a whole different podcast, but they they've told <laughs> stories that they could never tell in the movies. Absolutely. So they, they they the TV shows feel more like the comic books than the movies. So the movies are the big event crossovers, and then the uh, the TV shows are the individual series. So yeah, exactly. It's it's really really good time to be alive. No doubt. I, I just said on Facebook a few days ago. I said I'm glad I didn't get by a bus ten years ago. I would have missed out on all this. Well, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, we also have some big news about our show. I've been I've been uh, predicting and teasing this for a couple of weeks now, but I want for a couple of shows now. But I want to let everybody know. I went ahead and just created a new Patreon, and and I think some people know, and maybe some people don't. 
But we've been we've been sort of combining our Patreon our patrons here onto the White Rocket uh, Patreon that kind of went to all of our shows. But of course, our football show gets the vast preponderance of the membership just because there's a lot of you know Auburn football fans that we that my the show that John and I do. Well, I felt like this show, the Babylon Five show that we do, has gotten has gotten big enough. They don't need to listen to all the football fans being mentioned. They need to be thanked specifically as Babylon 5 supporters and White Rocket Entertainment supporters. And so I created a new Patreon, and the purpose uh, was simply to have a place where Babylon 5 supporters of this show can go and not have to be mixed in with all the other shows. That was my whole and entire reason for doing it. And it is at, you can get to it at patreon.com slash white rocket reviews, one word, white rocket reviews, or just go to patreon.com and search white rocket reviews, um, not the white rocket with my name. Uh, the, probably the easiest way, though, is just go to www.b5reviews.com, our good old standard page where things post, www.b5reviews.com, and just click on the Become a Patron, and that'll take you straight to the new Babylon 5 only. It's called White Rocket Reviews because I do foresee a day far in the future when we'll run out of Babylon 5 stuff to talk about. So I didn't want to <laughs> nail it down completely to Babylon 5, but you know if it's White Rocket Reviews, it's the White Rocket Babylon 5 review for the foreseeable future, for years to come probably. So, okay. Right. All right. So that's out of the way. I'll mention that again in the middle when we thank, because we've already got six Babylon 5 only supporters, patrons, and I'm so excited. Six folks have already made the transition or come on brand new. How cool is that? Yep. I thought that was very cool. I, you know, a couple of them actually uh, sent me messages through a Facebook Messenger and told me they were signing up. So I thought that was oh, pretty darn exciting. Absolutely. We really appreciate it because this show, I want this show to be, I'd, I'd love for us to catch up to the success of the, of the college football show. I don't know that it will, but it would be awesome if it could try. Um, Another little quick bit of news. We've now gone over 4,000 downloads on the main feed, the main channel, the, the Babylon5reviews.podbean.com. Uh, and when you throw in the, the, the other 2,000-plus from just the rerun, as I call it, we have the reruns that go up on the White Rocket show, that's over 6,000 downloads so far. So that's, I mean, I know there are shows that are much bigger, but that's pretty good, I think. I feel pretty good about it. That that's really good. That's I I I'm perfectly happy. Even if it was just you and me and our wives listening to this podcast yeah. every Monday, I think that's fun because I just love sitting down and shit. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, note again the reason we do the Patreon. We don't have ads. I get emails all the time from companies soliciting to be ads on my podcast. I get them all the time. And I always reply back and say, thank you, but no thank you, because our business model is that we want, we are supported by our listeners and we want to be able to tell them, as long as you support us, you will not have to listen to any ads other than for the show itself, right? Please become a patron. So if you become a patron, that helps us not have to have ads. And Lord knows I don't want to have any ads. All right, let's see. Um... Remember, when you become a patron, you get the shows first on the Patreon page. A few days later, they go up on the Babylon Babylon Five Reviews and then the then and on you know Apple and Google and uh, Spotify and wherever. In fact, somebody told me that they got it from iHeartRadio, which is cool. We'll get to that in the middle. Um, let's see, and then it, yeah, and then it goes up on the White Rocket Podcast last. As, as like I say, it's the reruns. 
one of these days I'm going to phase that out. But as long as it's still getting 100, 100 listeners a, a crack, I just keep the reruns up. All right, let's yeah. see. Remember, we have a spoiler section at the very end. We will go through the jump gate to the spoiler section when the time comes. So we don't do any spoilers until after uh, of anything that comes after what we're talking about at the time. We certainly try not to. I'm sure here and there we've dropped a few uh, <laughs> Easter eggs, shall we say. Um, all right, so tonight we're talking about 217 Knives and 218 Confessions and Lamentations. And I think these are a couple of... These aren't the big wham episodes that are about to come over our next couple of uh, sessions. You know that two weeks from now and four weeks from now, you and I are going to be... It's going to be bang, 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 right? <laughs> big stuff coming. I I may have cheated and watched a couple extra episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I just can't. Because if I do, I'll lose my focus of what I'm already talking about. So, But bless you for being able to do that. That's because you're always on top of things. It obviously doesn't affect you. I couldn't do it. Um, so let's get into 217 Knives. Um, again, as always, do you want to do the summary for this one or do you want to defer to the second half? No, I can do the summary of this one. This is a pretty simple one. Um, so in Knives, an old family friend of Londo's, in fact, I think their families go back centuries, uh, an old family friend asks for help from Londo and Sheridan gets possessed by a strange alien. Ooh. That's kind of a JMS staple. That pops up again. This is not a this is not a specific spoiler, but just in general, that kind of story pops up again in Crusade. He likes the I get mm-hmm. possessed by a an ethereal non-physical alien thing. He's big on that. So, um, this is production number 216, but it is airing order 217. That's what we go by. It originally aired May 17, 1995. I like to give the original air date because it's interesting to think back. If you watched it the first time through, it was the early summer, kind of late spring, early summer of 95. And uh, this is when my roommate, my graduate school roommate, was who I'd roped into watching it with me, was getting increasingly impatient and said... I need the Great War to hurry up and come upon us all, right? <laughs> I'm getting tired of waiting. And this may, I, I can't swear to it, but I think this is the last Larry Dottilio episode, which is odd because we didn't get a Jovian sunspot. Not a single dadgum Jovian sunspot. Right. Now, I, when I was researching, I saw that it was written by Dottilio and by Straczynski. Does he get co-writing on everything? Or only on specific ones? That's a good question. I didn't see that where I was looking. Okay. But it could very well be. Oh, okay. that reminds me. I've been, you know, I've been using various sources, my own memory, and the Lurker's Guide, of course, is very invaluable, and a few other things. Um, but I also, uh, somebody gave me a new book for Christmas. It's like A Dream Given Form, Babylon 5, Behind the Scenes, or something like that. So I've been, I, I looked saw up, that. yeah, I looked up this episode in there. Didn't get a lot from it, honestly. It's it's good. It's a fine book, but I didn't really get anything I didn't already have. So take that right. for what it's worth. But anyway, uh, this was so we'll see if this is the last Dottilio. And if it, I, I think it wasn't bad for a Larry Dottilio episode, honestly. Uh, directed by Stephen Posey. Uh, your notable guest stars this time around, and that, this was interesting. Uh, your main guest star this time was Car. All right, let me try this. Carmen Argenziano. Argenziano as Urza Jado, and he was the vocator and hero of the Battle of Gorash. And he, do you know where also we've seen him in sci-fi TV? I don't. Where else have we seen him? He is Samantha Carter's dad on Stargate SG-1. <laughs> wow. 
I I would never have known that. I I only vaguely remember SG One. I watched that when it was on the Showtime. Um, wow, so it's been a while. So it's been right, a while I'll, since you've. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, he's he's it's the been guy. A long, and I saw it original. Yeah, maybe we have a show we could think about. Well, I don't know about SG One. That went on ten years. God, we'd be old. We'd be in the nursing home right. doing that show. <laughs> <laughs> I I love the Stargate shows, but SG One is my least favorite. I kind of like them in reverse order. I love 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 Stargate Universe. I really like Atlantis, and SG One is okay for me. I know that everybody else is like the other way around. I know that's just how it is. I've had this conversation many times on the military sci-fi track at Dragon Con where I do a lot of panels and we're always <laughs> like, they're always like, you like this Stargate universe? I'm like, it's the best one. But, um, but anyway, yeah, he's the, um, he's the dad of Samantha Carter and he's the one that was dying and they put one of those snake alien symbiotes in him and all of a sudden he's like, so, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. so that was him. Um, I like that he tries to do the accent like Londo and Rifa. So we now have three Centauri who talk like whatever Peter Jurassic made up, you know. And of course, I got, we have, I got a comment. Yeah. I got a comment on that later. Okay, good, good, good. I like it. And we have good old William Forward as Rifa, uh, the slime ball Rifa. He gets worse every time. He's great, but he's terrible. All right. Do you have any random factoids and notes for this episode? I have just a handful. The only one that I have is the opera songs. When when the show opens up, Veer and Londo are uh, uh, discussing their favorite um, Centauri opera, and they they each sing a few uh, lines from from their favorite opera. Those w- were both written by uh, Christopher Franke. Fra- is it Frankie? Frank. Franke? I just say Frankie. I don't know. Yeah, he's German, so whatever. Yeah, Christopher Franke wrote both of those, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Awesome. Well, it, it seemed like they weren't just making it up because at one point they sing together and they're saying the same tunes and the same words. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I didn't know if they had just taken a, an existing opera and put Centauri words in it or what. But it was, you know, he sat down and specifically wrote those lines for, for that scene. I thought That's that was awesome. Neat. That's really I did not know that. I love when you come up with something I haven't ever found. That's awesome. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I, I, you know what? You and I should have practiced... And we could have done it together here. Whatever. We won't do that. I, I um, think we would lose listeners if we did that. <laughs> I think we would be down to like negative three patrons immediately. Um, we, <laughs> we find would out be if we, people. Yeah, <laughs> we'd be paying them. That's right. Hmm. We don't need that business model. So we we find out this episode a few factoids. We find out that. Haunted houses and Indian burial grounds are like candy to John Sheridan, but he prefers to visit them alone. That's all the fun. Okay. Uh, it's interesting that this episode features a Marcab. More about that to come. Uh, we find out that Londo is with a dueling society, and his name was Paso Liati because he fought like a crazed Liati, whatever that is. Okay. Um, apparently, a Liati is an animal that can get crazed. Okay. We know that there's still weird stuff going on in Sector 14, which is where Babylon 4 was. So that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. I wonder if we'll revisit Sector 14 again. Hmm. 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 Um, Londo and Urza toast with Val 2. Do you remember when we've heard Val 2 before? We've heard that word before. I, was I like, do not remember. This is the first time I caught this because we've been watching them so regularly, you know. Right. Um, and this probably is the first time I've watched this episode since the last time I watched the entire series all the way through, which was a long while ago. 
I've just been kind of picking and choosing over the years, but this is the first time I've gone wall to wall in a while, you know. Okay, they say Val 2, but they toast it like Val 2, Val 2. But Parliament of Dreams, when Londo and Veer were drunker than anything at the Parliament of, at their party, they go, mm-hmm. Val 2? Does that... <laughs> If that doesn't ring a bell, I can't do it any better than than But that's the same word. I guess it means cheers that, or whatever. I do remember that. Yeah. Dude. Let's see. Uh, we get a name drop of Adira. Adira Tyree. And Londo says it ended badly. It's sad, but, but you know, not really that badly, honestly. Uh, no Delin, no Jakar, no Kosh, and no Talia. And honestly, have we we have barely seen Talia this season, and I'm at this point getting very frustrated at, at the lack of Talia. Right, I, I think three or four episodes, maybe, that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, it's it's gone long stretches without her, yes. which is unfortunate. It really is. I love her so much, and she was in in the shadows you know, of doom. That was about it. Right. All right. Uh, last te- last point for this one. JMS said actually the chronological order was supposed to be knives, and then in the shadow of Zaha Doom, in knives you get the reminder about Anna and that ship, and then in in the shadow of Zaha Doom you get the payoff. That was originally how they were intended to be aired, but there was so much CGI and rotoscope work and creature animation with knives that it got flipped around to second in order. So while it works best the other way, it still works okay this way. I did think it was kind of odd to bring to bring Anna and the ship back up again here when they just kind of dealt with that in a major way last time. So at least we know it wasn't supposed to be that way. Right. Um, all right. So what was your high point of this episode? Uh, my high point was the uh, the insight we got into the Centauri culture. I, I like the 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 bits about the the dueling society, and we got a little. Uh, you know, not only did we get insight on the, the their culture, but insight on Londo's past. I mean, he was a duelist, and that's kind of cool. That's like the old German dueling societies back in you know the eighteen hundreds and, and early nineteen hundred. Well, well into the the forties actually. But yeah, I thought that was that was very interesting and a nice insight to his character. Uh, we get to see a little bit more of the politics and how that works. So I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, this wasn't a really strong episode for me. So uh, the, the high point was, you know, kind of just average. Yeah. No, of course. Um, I do like that in this season, season two, one of the things that has been going on is to give us more behind the scenes understanding of the alien races. We've gotten a we've gotten a good bit more of the Centauri and we got a good bit more of the Minbari and their politics and stuff. Not a lot yet, but a little bit more. Not so much the the Narn yet. And of course the Vorlons are the Vorlons, but uh, we're slowly getting to know these races better than we did, you know, a few episodes ago. Right. My, my high point and is lo- inter- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Interestingly enough, we'll get we'll get actual insight to more of the races as well as, as mm-hmm. the, uh, the season moves on, especially next season. Yeah. And some of the non-aligned, some of those other races that yeah. like, like we're about to get to know a lot about the Markab. I think that's no secret, uh, for, for, right. for, <laughs> for a while it lasts. Right. Um, but we'll also find out, you know, there's some other races that we're going to, that we've seen in the background. They're going to kind of merge the foreground and that's really cool. And in fact, right. there's one, yeah, I'm the leak. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's one in particular that we get, we see for the first time. Yeah. Which we'll get to in a minute. Yep. 
Um, okay, so, um, yeah, my high point was Londo and Veer's interaction in general. Yeah, you kind of went like the background of the Centauri. With me, it was a little bit more just that Veer is still trying to get Londo to, to back off of this headlong rush to disaster he's clearly on. Uh, at this point, it seems like maybe it was possible, but I think pretty soon Veer is going to realize, yeah, I've just got to go into damage control mode because... That he ain't swerving, you know what I mean? Right. So I have a suspicion about this one. What was your low point? Uh, I, you know, I went with two low points. I, I went with just a general overall like ug low point. That was the creature CGI. Yeah. With the 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 little bat creature thingy in his in the, Sheridan's quarters. You're correct. Uh, that was a little little bit on the cheesy side, even for the nineties. Um, and I went with, cause you had mentioned last, uh, last episode that you were doing like an emotional low point. And for me, the, the emotional low point was, uh, right there at the end of the duel when, uh, when, um, uh, Malari kills Urza. Um, and then he realizes why he, why he, you know, mm-hmm. killed himself or gave himself up like that. So, and, and you can see it in Londo's face. I mean, he knows that he's going down a dark path and he, you know, he's regretting his decisions as he's making them. And now that he sees consequences of what he's, he's doing, but he still keeps on making those decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I agree with you completely. That's, that's kind of the way I think we'll, we'll do it going forward. If you're cool with that is we can do one or the other or both is fine with me. Cause there's going right. to be episodes that there's not a low point other than, Oh, that was depressing, but really well done. Yeah. So, Right, right. No, I I agree. Yeah, I had the I had the Grylor, which is what Sheridan called. Yeah, man. If you want to do some serious Babylon Five hardcore trivia, sometime if we ever maybe maybe uh, maybe when we finish season two or something, we can and we do our our little gathering with uh, with Bobby and and Nathan and whoever. Maybe we'll do a little like a quick round of Babylon Five trivia because Grylor would be like a question nobody would get. <laughs> Nobody would. I would say, what was the name of the creature that appeared in Sheridan's quarters, and only he could see it? Y'all be like, uh, and I would too if I hadn't written it down. So yeah, Grylor or whatever. I forgot it, and I just watched the episode three days ago. So I'm saying it sounds like a brand of spray paint, honestly. Anyway, uh, all right. So I, oh, this is good. All right. The Orenzento Ari Benzane Overacting Award. I think that, honestly, as it goes forward, we're going to have a harder time fitting anybody in here, but I actually do have something for this category. Do you have an Orenzento Ari Benzane Award winner? I, I don't, but I'm looking forward to seeing what, what you've got in this slot. Yeah, because Carmen it was, it was really good as, as Urza, and he was really the only he guest was. star. Um, yeah. I have the, the Grylor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Grylor overdid it a little bit. He overdid it just a little little bit. bit. He kind of tried to chew the scenery and Sheridan both, and that's not cool, man. Right. Um, We'll give that award to the the computer graphic artists. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And, you know, this raises an interesting point real quick. One thing I am looking forward to if they actually do the rebooted Babylon 5, if nothing else, JMS tried so hard to give us cool alien creatures on this show, right? He tried so hard. Right. And they did the best they could, let's be honest. But, I mean, everything from uh, the the infection guy to the mind flayer creature that Londo was afraid of to the Grylor to even good old Nagrath, they tried everything to give us good, you know, good monsters and aliens, and they just couldn't really do it. The new version, 
they might be able to give us some pretty cool monsters and aliens. Right. And I will say, the shadows, I don't know if it's because we just only see them every once in a while, but whenever they show the shadows, they are they look intimidating and, and very real. So yeah. I, I think they did a good job. Whatever they did with that to, to make them stand out, it, it worked because the, the shadows are very well done, I think. And, and, you know, that was so important because they're the main villain. Right. Of, you don't want the whole them looking series. cheesy. You, oh, they couldn't. Right. If, they had, if they had messed up the shadows, the whole show would have just been in serious trouble. So you're right. right. That's a really good point. Okay. What was your most Babylon 5 scene in Knives? Uh, I believe it was when uh, um, I was talking or when uh, Londo was talking with Urza and he told him a new day is coming for our people. When mm. they were having that whole discussion about uh, Londo was telling them that the, the – um, Centauri Republic is coming back, and Urza was like, you know, what, where we're going right now is bad and wrong. And, and London was like, no, no, this is a great thing. This is bringing back our, the, our prestige. And I thought that was very Babylon 5, because that's, that, that's mm-hmm. the, the crux of Londo's story arc right there. No, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, because looking from the outside, we see that Urza was 100% right. He, he got it. Yep. And people that get it are going to have to die to make way for Londo's Third Reich in space, basically, because you can't have right. you can't have people that understand reality and tell the truth in a dictatorship based on subjugating others and and being a bunch of bastards. So, yeah, I 100% agree. I I just had the the Centauri party because it's we don't get Centauri parties often enough, and it's hard to beat a good Centauri party. You know, they they go and, all you out. know I notice yeah I notice in that scene. That the set was a better set than we get for the uh, the uh, the room for the uh, uh, what the, the, council? Con- the council room. <laughs> I mean, it, this was for one episode, <sighs> one scene in one episode, and they still get a better set than the council gets. Oh well, the the the, the party that they did in Parliament of Dreams was better. It was <laughs> this right. was better than that. Right. <laughs> I just I love the Centauri aesthetic, which is basically 18th 19th century. Austro-Hungarian Empire, you know, Franz Ferdinand, right, Franz right. Joseph, and all that. I mean, I love chandeliers yeah. and lots of gold and purple and jewels. They just they don't understand restraint, right? I mean, <laughs> right. this is a, this is a this is an a race of people that do their hair up like a peacock, you know, to right. show off. So they're not going right. to understand subtlety. The women do. But Gaudy is not in their dictionary. No, it's just how they live their lives. Yeah. And you see, when 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 Londo gave uh, Urza a drink, it was in like a goblet, like some you know, like, like in right. some rap video, it's you almost know, a fishbowl. <laughs> yes, <laughs> something Charlemagne would have drunk out of. Yeah, it was just classic. <laughs> um, all right, what was your favorite character moment, if there was one? <clears throat> well, my favorite character moment, going back to Londo. See, there was one. There was there was one plot line that I enjoyed in this TV sh- in this particular episode. And there was a plot line I didn't enjoy, and, and th- this reflects that. Uh, my favorite character moment was when Londo stands up for Urza when mm. he when he calls um Lord uh, yeah calls uh Rifa, and he he tells him you know no you got to fix this and you got to do it now. He's a friend of mine. Make mm-hmm. it right. I thought that was that that was the the nice Londo that you know that we want to see more of that we. It shows that he still has that spark of humanity. Um, he, uh, unfortunately, he doesn't carry through with it so much. But um, you know, it 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 was a nice moment for Orlando. One of the few that we're going to get. Yeah, um, 
I and and, and yeah. I was glad he was willing to just stick with it and not say, oh, I just got to sacrifice you like I've sacrificed everything else. So this right. is one of those chances that Londo has to try to redeem himself, and he just can't quite do it. He did try, though. Um, he did. This is, I, I actually thought you were going to pick this one because it was a Franklin moment. When Franklin is bossing Sheridan around, telling him you got to go get some rest, get some sleep or whatever, uh, Sheridan says, you're just like your father. And Franklin goes, blink, blink. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was good. <laughs> I I did like that. That was definitely uh, my my runner up for sure. Because yeah, a- any good Franklin moment's a good moment. Sure, and that was interesting because it was a callback. If you if you did watch Gropos, then that one had some special meaning for you because we saw how his father was. Right. So if you didn't see and, Gropos- and, and Franklin took it as a compliment after that was neat. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that. You know, Franklin and his father were presented as as such enemies in a certain way, and yet he loved him and really respected him, and and it and it shows there again. So yeah, it's interesting. Yep. Um, okay, f- <laughs> I got a couple of funniest moments. What have you got? All right, so for the I, I have two. The okay, first one two. was when uh, Londo was commenting uh, when he's talking about uh, a dream he had where he saw a purple wombat singing show tunes in his bathtub. <laughs> that was that was a funny visual. The other one was only uh, uh, tangential with the show, but my wife was in the room, you know, while I was watching this, as she often is, and there was a conversation with uh, Urza and, and Londo, and she's, and I hear from the kitchen, I keep hearing Gru from Despicable Me. <laughs> 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 that uh, that one got a bigger laugh than anything in the episode because I thought that <laughs> Who, was really funny. <laughs> was that Urza? No, that was Londo. Londo's oh. got that that okay. Have you ever seen Despicable Me? Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen all those yeah. Gru. I just couldn't. That's, I'm just trying to put the voice. Okay, well, right. Sure. Well, it, it was the combination of the two of them talking to each other using the same accent. She was like, uh, "I keep hearing Gru." <laughs> oh, gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Um, I had two too. One was when when Garibaldi's talking about the dead Marcab. He says a zombie with a gas attack. That <laughs> was funny. Um. And, oh, this was good. When Londo and Veer were talking early on, Londo got fed up. He says, Veer, you have what the Earthers call a negative personality. <laughs> and Veer says, no, I don't. And Londo says, there, you see? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That's That had to be JMS. I don't want to shortchange Larry if Larry wrote that, but that sounds like something JMS sprinkled in right. in the rewrite. I'm going to go ahead and say, all right. Oh, here we go. Who won the episode and rating? The two most contentious questions on our board every time. So who won this episode, if anybody? I, you know, I'm going to say Urza. Urza won because he, he found a way to get his family protected and to save his family's honor and, and all that. I mean, yeah, he died. But yeah. he, you know, in the end, I mean, he, he kind of pulled one over on Londo, you know, because Londo even said, you know, legally – they are now part of my family, so they are forever protected. So, yeah, Ur- Urza got done what he wanted to do at the beginning of the episode. I, I agree. I had Urza, and I said also the invisible creature from Sector 14 because he got to go home. Yes, he did. Yes, he, he did, did have to do some bad stuff to Sheridan to, to make it happen, but and not I, being, but he got it I done. Think, I think that's the first time that that plot line has been mentioned in any of our categories. Yeah. Yeah, that was not yeah. what you – well, except for the creature got overacting for me. Right there, there you go. Yes, <laughs> congratulations! Congratulations! He did win the episode because he got an award and he got to go home. 
Isn't that what we all want in life? We want to win an award and go home. Right. <laughs> That's there all we ask for. That's all we ask for in life. All right. What well, I'm I'm scared to ask, and and just for for our new listeners, our our rating is on a scale of zero point zero to five point zero, and we do point fives in between if necessary. What is your rating of this episode? You know, I gave the Londo Molari plotline uh, 2.5 stars, and I think the other plotline brought that down to a 1.5. I so, I really I I don't remember this episode very much, and I don't remember disliking it as much as I did. But watching it, it it just seemed like it seemed like a Larry Detilio, you know, how he's got that waif out there. He his his idea of science fiction is a little different from JMS. Yes. And Larry always has the higher concept type crazy sci-fi stuff that he tries to bring into the B five, and it, it didn't right. mesh well. You're right. No, you're right. Yeah, we've we yeah we've we've touched on that without saying it from the beginning, and I think yeah, you're summarizing it quite well. I agree. I gave it a two, but really just for the fact, like you said, that we do get a lot of good Centauri stuff, and I thought that uh, Urza was really good, um, and the fact that he actually dies. I mean. You know, these two there's there is one thing that these two episodes we're looking at tonight have in common, and that is in both cases you think somebody is going to earn the right to survive the episode, and in both cases they don't. Right, right. That's a very good point. On on one it's one person, I, on I the other wanna, it's billions. But you know, it's everybody. <laughs> yeah, I do want to point out that the dueling scene. When they pulled out the swords and got in their fighting stances, I kind of split. I thought it was going to be like the uh, the Narn fighting scene we had a, a <laughs> few episodes ago. Oh God! But it it maybe is on the strength of the actors. I don't know, but they actually pulled that one off where it didn't look as yeah. as bad as it could have. I mean, it, it looked like they were really fighting and that they really had some sort of style involved. So I it, and I know they couldn't go all out and do the whole you know lightsaber duel type of, yeah. of fighting. That you know they they had to do this with with just a budget of one episode and one scene in one episode. So I thought that it it, it wasn't as bad as as it could have been. I thought it was all right. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I thought the casting of Urza, Carmine, was really good because you needed somebody that was kind of a match physically for Londo, but not a lot more physical than him. So it would be implausible that Londo would win and not somebody so frail that you couldn't imagine he could stand up to Londo. Right. You need somebody kind of right. in the middle. And I thought it was, they were a good match. They were a good match for each other. Yeah. Right. So that worked out. All right. And, and that, as far as the acting goes too, I mean, mm-hmm. he, Peter Jurassic can own a scene, and I th- I thought the guy playing Urza, mm-hmm. you know, went toe to toe with Peter Jurassic and, and held his own very well. And that's saying something, absolutely. Right. Um, all right. So that was knives. We got through that one pretty quick, and that's good. Um, we got to thank our patrons, and remember, go to www.b5review.com. Did I mess it up again? No, that was right. B5review.com. Yeah. Okay. I just. Okay. <laughs> www.b5review.com and click on the button that says become a patron because we have a new Patreon page just for this show, as I said, just so that we can only mention those folks. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. So go there, click on the button. We have to thank our very first patrons of just this show. They are, we, we actually have like, I think, four tiers. Um, we have, or maybe three. We have three tiers Station Security, 
Gray Council and Army of Light, I believe, are our tiers. In fact, let me go back. I want to look and make sure. I'm going to look and tell you what our tiers are for sure. Uh, uh-oh. Aha. Station Security, Gray Council, and Army of Light. I figured we'll try three and see how it goes. And we got six folks, so just to kind of make it simple. So we have to thank... Uh, our Gray Council members, Allison Rich, E.J. Alexander, and Rich Hammett, his arms wide. And we have to thank our station security, Colonel Dad, Emmanuel Seaman, and Stu Parker. And that is awesome because uh, some of them came over from the other Patreon, and some of them are, bra- are there too and are both, and that is awesome. And some of them are just here, so fantastic. Um, and in fact, we got our first really cool comment through the Patreon that I'm going to go tell you real quick. Uh, Stu Parker, and by the way, I meant to say Stu and Lynn Parker, New Zealand's biggest B5 fans, as they wish to be called. And and that reminds me, and this is very important, for anybody, and we've been talking about this all along on our show, for anybody that wants to join or anybody that's already there, when you sign up for your Patreon and it put and you can put your name down, you can put anything in there you want, and that's what I will see and that's what I will read. Like, for example, Rich has Rich Hammett, comma, his arms wide. I don't know what that means, but that's what he wants it to say. That's what he wants me to say. I'm good with that. So, Stu, if you want to go back and change it to, if you're listening, I'm sure you are, if you want to go back and say Stu and Lynn Parker, and if you even can fit in New Zealand's biggest B5 fans, I think you can. I think you can fit that in there, and I will say it every time. So just go in there and just edit your account, just change the name, um, and it, if you want, and there you go. So here's what Stu said. He said, they're from New Zealand. They found our show via iHeartRadio, which is awesome. He said, wow, it's great. Uh, you and Andy are fantastic and such a good presentation. Appreciate that. Uh, I ended up binge listening, and now I'm all caught up. We need more. Well, we're working on it. That's what we're doing right now. And he said, uh, I'm editing this for, for brevity real quick. He says, once per year, we play the entire show, the entire series. We really enjoy the first season like you both said. It's a must listen. Yeah, much watch. We really like Michael O'Hare and always considered him a critical part of B5. He says, my favorite episode is War Without End, which we gave a five on our scale. We're now giving each show a rating like you guys do and to see what the difference <laughs> is compared to yours. That's awesome, right? I love it. I love that they're, that they're doing awesome. that. That is awesome. I'll let you know how we go. And I asked him, please do. He says, perhaps, uh, perhaps, this is good, Andy. He says, perhaps on the really important episodes, patrons could send in their ratings as well to see what everyone else thinks it would be interesting. That would be interesting, just a thought. So in other words, when we know there's a big one coming up, we can ask beforehand, what are your ratings? And we can talk about it. So what I propose, because we got a little advanced warning here, we've got three or four big ones coming up to finish the season. We've got four more episodes to finish season two. Uh, we've got Divided Loyalties and... Crap, I don't have it in front of me. Hold on. Uh, Long Twilight Struggle, Comes Inquisitor, Fall Night. Boom, 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 boom. We have four bing, bang, boom episodes coming up. I'm going to ask our patrons, if you want to go ahead, if you if you don't have to, but if you want to uh, post on the Patreon page or send me an email, uh, vplexico at gmail.com, I will tell your ratings when we get to those episodes and compare them to Andy and me. Does that sound good to you, Andy? That sounds awesome. That is a, uh, that's a great idea. I really love is. listener interaction. I love hearing from these people. So yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I, I, I do get my Facebook messenger is open. Um, I get 
messages from from fans, and I love hearing from fans. So if Absolutely. anybody wants to send me a, a message through Facebook, that I, I'm all for it. That would be that would be fantastic. So yeah, Stu, that's a great idea. And you can send it to Andy. You can send it to me, or you can just go if you're a patron. You can just go in and do a comment thing, and it'll pop up for me on the notifications, and I'll bring it right over here into my show notes. We take extensive show notes. I take way more show notes for this show than any other show I do. I just want you to know. I, yeah. I do as well. Heck yeah, because we're because we are trying to do a good job. I have no idea if we are or not, but we are. <laughs> I know you and I are giving our all to make this good, and I hope people enjoy it. So well, thank you so much, Stu and. We really appreciate uh, Stu and Lynn Parker of New Zealand, New Zealand's biggest B5 fans. I, I just want to add that uh, New Zealand is my dream and my wife's dream uh, home. We, we both want to move there very badly. So, Stu, if we ever make it over there, we will look you up, buddy. <laughs> awesome. That is cool. You're a hobbit at heart, Andy. I, I absolutely am. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand is just like a, a paradise. Yeah. I, I it, we, yeah. We've done a lot of research into it, and that is, that is the place we want to go. So, yeah. And, and Hobbiton is only a, only a part of that, but Hobbiton yeah. is definitely a part of the reason. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're going to be sitting back drinking ale and growing giant pumpkins. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be down at the tavern with your giant pumpkin going, mm, mm, right. mm, yes, <laughs> oh, yes. Mm. Uh, awesome. So, again, b5reviews.com and click on the Become a Patron button and join in the fun. That'd be awesome. All right, we got one more to go. 218, Confessions and Lamentations. This is another one of those that the title doesn't give a lot away. And when I first saw it, I was like, I really don't remember what this one's about. But of all the ones with a generic title, I think this is the one that as soon as I kind of clicked, I'm like, oh, that one. Yeah. This is not, Andy, what you would call the feel-good episode of the series. No, this is not light fair at all. And it just so happens that my wife picked this one to sit down and watch the entire episode with me. <laughs> well, I mean, again, not the feel-good episode, but certainly a powerful and well-done episode. What what did she think? Tell me, what did she think? She she picked up right away what was going on with, with the whole disease, uh, the, what, what it was an allegory for, because mm. w- she and I are very political now. We have discussed the, this, mm-hmm. the, the whole history behind, behind the, the, the AIDS pandemic, so... She picked up very quickly on it, and uh, she was impacted there at the very end because she didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't know how how it was going to end. I, I knew, but um, yeah, that that ending was really it, it kicked her in the in the gut. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, um, I I did note that now both episodes involving a medical crisis, especially that involve a little kid being sick, in both cases they die. Right, kind of kind of a downer. Yeah. JMS. JMS must not like kids. A <laughs> little, little bit. A little bit of a daughter. Just saying. All right. So here's my uh, summary. Basically, I steal it from the from the guide of uh, Lurker's Guide. The outbreak of a fatal disease among the Markab population prompts a panic on the station, and Dr. Franklin races against time to find a cure. That was pretty much the plot. There wasn't really a B, was there, this time? Not really. No. Yeah. It was that, that pretty much sums it up. Production 218, 
May 24th, 1995, written by JMS, directed by Kevin Crimmin. I'm not really familiar with Kevin Crimmin. He's not, he's not in the Mount Rushmore of Babylon 5 directors like Janet Greek and Mike Vijar and Eagle and Nimoy and those guys, but he's, uh, and ladies, but he, he did a good job on this one. In fact, I particularly noted some camera stuff in this one that I thought was very effective. There was a, um, there was a moment where, when the little girl, the little the little girl Markab, when she comes out of the place and, and she sees the big Babylon Five guards, the camera's down at her eye level, and you're right. looking up at those guys in gray, and they look like giant monsters. You're thinking, from her perspective, these are these giant alien monsters. Yep, that was very effective. Very effective. Yeah. Oh, I just my heart went out to her. And there's a oh God, there's a moment coming. We'll get to it. I have more to say about this one, which is why I'm glad the knives one went really quick. Um, Notable guest stars, Jim Norton as Dr. Lazarin, Maggie Egan as the ISN anchor. We'll see her again. Uh, Kim Strauss as the Markab ambassador. So, of course, we're not going to see any more Markab ambassadors, but don't worry because Kim Strauss is the guy. You may have recognized his personality and his voice even through that makeup. He's usually the drazi. Mm-hmm. He's the one that's usually like... Um, you humans are up to something. He's that guy that's always kind of suspicious, and he has that very distinctive voice and delivery, but he was a Markab this time. But they usually have him in the Drazi makeup. And then the little girl was Blue Jean Ashley Seacrest, and she's gone on to do a few other things. Interesting. Really? Yeah. Blue Jean Ashley Seacrest. That's her name. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Her first name, B-L-U-E-J-E-A-N, Blue Jean. That's her first name. All right. Do you have any random factoids and notes? Because I have a few. Hey, you know, I don't have a single random factoid on this mm. one. Well, let's blast through some of these then, because I got some JMS quotes that I want to kind of hit. I think are very pertinent. All right. A couple of things. Um, I would just immediately wanted to note that when this episode first aired, it was in 1995, and we hadn't had any kind of virus type stuff other than AIDS, which is a like you said, an allegory, and we'll we'll talk about that. But this episode, I thought, hit particularly hard now as we are in December of 2021 in a resurgence of the coronavirus. And so right. um, it yeah, had extra, the paranoia, the extra paranoia and the anxiety of, of the, the disease, you know, possibly spreading throughout the, the station. Yeah, that that resonated very much with with uh, what's going on the past year or two and, and how political it gets and jms has a quote about that man does this echo through the years all right um i had a question though up front the reason the markab went into isolation remember they self-isolated they didn't get put in there as a as quarantine right because because franklin's like it won't matter it's too late to quarantine and sheridan even said don't do it because if you isolate everybody together it'll everybody will become infected even more right Right. But they self-isolated. And the reason they did was because they feel that the disease is caused by immorality. They felt they were all moral and all the others were immoral. So they, the, the ambassador, Kim Strauss, actually said, we're going to go into this exile chamber, and when we come out, we'll be the only ones on this station alive. And, of course, it's the exact opposite. Right. right. But he says, we'll be the only ones left alive. Now... Delenn negotiates to let herself and Lanier in there. A, the Markab must believe Delenn and Lanier are moral, are moral, or they wouldn't have let them in. Right. The Markab all die. Do the Markab, as they're dying, think, wow, we really messed up. Delenn must be horribly immoral. 
does the Lynn and Lanier get blamed? Do they get blamed as the vector because they brought the immorality in? Wow. I don't know. Well, I mean, we'll never know. We just sound no. like we could interview any of them. <laughs> Can't dig up Mark Hebb just to ask him that. No. So, wow. Yeah. I, I but I, that's that. what hit me this time is that the only, if you believe it can't be coming from you, the only outside influence they were around was Lanier and Delenn. Right. So, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. All right. Here's some JMS stuff. And this plays into exactly what we're talking about. JMS, quote, the whole point of this episode is not political. It says that if you make a disease political on either side, you're going to die. He said that, Boom. Andy, in 1995. That's that's amazing. 26 years ago, he said that. I'm not wow. taking. A, I'm not making any political stand myself. I'm, we're right. not ideological here on this show. We're just talking about a fun sci-fi show. But I mean, that's pretty profound that he said that 26 years ago. Right. That, that, that's amazing. Yes. Um, he says, you have to set aside all that crap and just deal with the problem, capital letters. The only side this episode took was in advocating compassion for those afflicted, and that would be Delenn and company. If you see the disease as political, that's your lookout. This show says that any attempt to politicize a disease is species dangerous thinking, period. Hmm. That's something Very to accurate. chew on. Something to yep. chew on, folks. Okay, he was asked about some of this. He says, one person I spoke with at the CDC said that, hypothetically speaking, the sudden eruption of a disease like this is possible. How likely depends on various circumstances. For instance, there are regions in the Amazon and South America where certain kinds of plant and animal life can only be found, and those specific life forms can transfer disease to humans. Um he says, researching this episode was just a whole lot of laughs, sarcastically, because of all the horrible <laughs> things they do, right? He says, they are highly contagious. The only thing that has so far prevented a massive outbreak is the fact that by the time you can generally get out of those areas, you're dead. Well, not so much with this one, obviously. This, the current virus we're in is just, uh, it leaves you alive long enough to spread it to somebody else. Um, a particularly aggressive disease could perform very much like what is described in the episode. He says, anytime there's a big disease, we get stupid with a capital S. The same exact thing happened with the Black Plague as was mentioned in the episode. Instead of blaming gays, the leaders of the time blamed Jews and lepers. The whole point is to drop politics and drop scapegoating whichever disease it happens to be next. And there's always a next. And focus on the problem, the disease. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> um. Oh, this is funny now, to, to lighten up a little bit. Talk about the Markab. He says, on one level, this episode indicates we really are crazy over here at B5. Here we developed this race for nearly two, for nearly two years, developed their culture, mentioned them prominently just last episode, had them speak before the full council, spent substantial amounts of money making them the biggest single alien group we've got. Some of the group shots had 40 to 50 or more Markabs in full prosthetics and costume. And now, never to be seen again... <laughs> And and in terms of why they picked the Markab, he said, it couldn't be a race we've never seen before, not if it was to have the impact I wanted. It had to be a group that's been with us from the start. In yep. council scenes for the rest of the season, the Markab seat will remain empty. Wow. Yeah. He says, we joked a few times about having a mass burial of the Markab costumes and prosthetics behind the stage. Okay, a little gallows humor there. 
And then he says, last one, the main thrust of this story is how it affects our main characters. Would they have been more affected if it were the Drazi rather than the Markabs? No, it would have been just the same. My job is not to sit here and say, hmm, do I think audience members like the Drazi or the Markabs more and base my decision on that? I write my stories based on what's right for the story, period. In this case, I knew it had to be one of the league races, and in particular, those prosthetics capable of expressing broad ranges of emotion, potentially sympathetic characters. That instantly cut out the Pac Marah. (laughs) Well, thank goodness, because I like the Pac Marah. They're more interesting than the Mark Ab. They almost got it, though. They did, yes. Good old Steven to the rescue, saving the Pac Marah, so that your roadkill can be consumed happily now. (laughs) He said, I consider the Drazi, and that'd be funny because everybody hates the Drazi. But, I mean, we love them. We hate them, but we, you know what I mean. We love to hate right, them. Right, Okay. But my sense was the prosthetics couldn't convey the depth of emotion that was needed. That led me to the Markabs. I'd have to agree, the, the Drazi have a perpetual expression of surprise and anger. Right. The, the, the Drazi always look at you like you just ran over their dog and insulted <laughs> their mother. You know, they're always like... <laughs> I'm making the face the Drazi make it to me anyway. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, somebody asked, could this have been a shadow weapon? And more on, let's talk about that in the spoiler space. I have something to say about that. Uh, this episode, is apparently I didn't see it, gave us the first appearance of the game, which are the aliens that wear like a suit of armor, space suit with the little hose. Yes. I noticed, I, I didn't know that was their name, but I was like, oh yeah, those guys, we haven't seen them yet. And they, they were in there a couple times. They are modeled after the Sandman in Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics. And so they're called the game. G-A-I-M for Gaiman. Wow. That That's cool. Right. And he goes, on, Neil, uh, spoiler, Neil Gaiman does go on and write an episode in season five, which is a really good one which we'll get to mm-hmm. way down the road. Um, I had a note here. JMS isn't anti-religion. We saw that in Parliament of Dreams, for example, but he definitely is against some of the extreme things that religion can cause a believer to do or believe. Right. I think he, he makes a distinction between religion and what people do with it. Right. Yeah. And there's a good scene in, there's a lot of good scenes in Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut, where the Hospitaller Knight talks about that very thing. So if you've ever seen it or if you haven't watched the Kingdom of Heaven director's cut, it's really good along those lines. Um, ah, we know that Dr. Franklin visited the Mark Ab homeworld when he was hitchhiking. Uh, we know that Keffer has been taking trips into hyperspace in his spare time looking for you-know-what. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and when Ivanova tells Sheridan that Keffer's doing this, Bruce Boxleitner's reaction, Sheridan's face... Is like, oh crap, uh-uh, right? Because yeah. we know from in the shadow of Zahadum, we don't we don't want them to know we're we're looking for them. Can't be poking the bear, or in this case, right. the giant alien spider. No, do not do that. <laughs> do not poke the giant invisible alien spider. Uh, let's see. Oh, um, we saw that when Delin was a, we found out that when Delin was a small child, we, she was separated from her parents, and she was in a temple. And a figure bathed in light told her, I will not allow my little ones to come to harm in this place. Man, that is so like Old Testament, New Testament. I'm not really sure what, but it was very biblical, wasn't it? And I right. I don't know what to make of that. I guess I know who it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But okay, we'll leave it at that. Interesting. Um, you might have some remarks about this. Uh, it was remarked upon that there were parallels with Jewish Passover that that uh, with the with the dinner that Delin and well that Lanier prepared, right? Um, 
The foods must be eaten in a particular order. A table setting is left for a revered historical figure, Valen rather than Elijah, who is supposed to return someday. As the Markabs enter the de facto quarantine chamber, the Markab ambassador suggests if they pray, the plague will pass over them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of parallels there. I thought that was a good right. touch. Um, I, I also noted here the increasing frustration that Delin is under, and I think it kind of led her to do this and it contributed. Remember, she did this painful and radical transformation, physical transformation, in order to be a bridge between the humans and the Minbari, and instead now they both hate her. Right. How must she feel? Right, and, and instead of you know bringing her closer together to humanity, she alienated herself from her own people. And the humans don't care for her. Right, right. Ex- with a few exceptions, I think, that we saw right. this episode. There's one big exception. Right. Which we'll get to. Uh, yeah, D- uh, JMS on the on Delenn's childhood experience. I got this out of order. He said, it's about time somebody noticed the little exchange of confessions and lamentations. Sometimes I stick stuff. I stick stuff. Sometimes I stick stuff. That's hard to say. So <laughs> obviously in the foreground that I'm afraid it's going to be too blatant, and then nobody seems to notice it. Instead, looking at the tiny stuff in the background. Unfortunately, all I can say for now is that it is significant to Delenn's character and growth that she had this experience, and her sense of being special and called into the religious cast. And again, without a, without a spoiler, I will say. We have an episode coming up soon that addresses Delenn feeling special. Mm-hmm. And we will talk about that one very soon. Um, and this was a nice exchange. Sheridan says, what happens next time? Delenn says, what happens? What happens is that we honor the memory of those who are no longer with us by using what we have learned to save others, to exercise faith and patience and charity, to reach out to those who are afraid. If we can do that, then their passing will have had meaning and we will grow from it. And Sheridan says, yeah, maybe, which I thought was... Uh, right. And, the, and then Franklin is at the bar and the bartender is already cracking jokes about dead Markabs. Somebody says the Vorlons did it, and Franklin says nothing changes. Yep, that that, that was a heartbreaking scene right there. Nothing changes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But I do like that that one phrase that comes out of this episode is "faith manages," and that's that's mm-hmm. going to kind of be the byword of this entire series by the time it's done. You will see that phrase again. Right. All right. I told you I had some things to say. There we go. I've kind of cleaned out the notebook. I put a lot of time Important on this things, one. too. Well, I thought that was good. Yeah, yeah. This is a very profound episode. Uh, what was your high point? And, man, this is a challenge, I think. Right. Well, I, I think that the high point was just it, it was a very well-done, tense medical thriller. I mean, but even knowing the, the ending, knowing you know where the, the, the virus was going, I thought they did a very good job of throughout the entire episode, you didn't know you know, if this virus was going to make the leap to other aliens and wipe out the whole station. So it was, and the, the medical research part wasn't cheesy. It was done very well when, when, uh, um, Steven came up with the, the workaround for it, the, the, you know, temporary fix that never unfortunately got to be implemented. I mean, he gave a, you know, it, it was a plausible, you know, techno babble, uh, sound to it. So I thought it was very tense and it was very, very, uh, very well done. So the whole the, the whole the whole medical drama part I thought was really cool. I guess we have to assume that he administered it to the Pakmara and then they were able to get word back to the Pakmara government, you need to go ahead and produce this for yourselves because it's gonna get you know, the first time a, 
a spaceship that's been to Babylon 5 or, or to the Maca- the Markab homeworld gets right. to, to the Pakmara homeworld, which is a planet of nothing but cars running over deer and raccoons <laughs> and, and squirrels, you know, for dinner, then um, they'll need it. I, I, I'm glad they didn't address where the, the Pakmara may have acquired the disease. Oh, maybe, Lord. Maybe. Yeah, so... <laughs> oh man! Wow, I, I have to take a moment on that one, Andy. You got me there, man. Oh heavens! Well, I will just say for those that don't know what we're talking about, there was a first season episode where the 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 dead body of the Minbari war hero disappeared, and one of the things they did was pump the stomach of the Pakmara. They have questionable yeah. dietary uh, yeah. proclivities. Great singers. Right, <laughs> but kind of gross dietary habits. Yeah, yes. One moment of perfect beauty. All right. Oh, um, wow. My high point of the episode was John and Delenn, their relationship throughout the episode, and particularly, she said to him, "No," he said to her when he finally agreed to let her go and be in the content, you know, the exiled chamber. He said. He didn't say, if you see me again, because obviously he's not going to say that. He said, the next time you see me, call me John. I did notice at the beginning of the scene, she said, Captain. Right. And at the end of the episode, she says, John. Yeah. I think this is an important moment. Absolutely. This was a very pivotal moment in their relationship. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, What was your low point? Low point, and I went with uh, strictly an emotional one. Uh, I mean, the whole episode, obviously. But specifically, the very last scene... Um, with, with, when they open up the, the, uh, containment room and they walk in there and the two Minbari are just there and you can just see in their faces, especially Lanier's, they're just devastated that they yes. sat there and watched the entire, Everybody. basically the entire race die around them. That, that had to be my, that, that's what hit my wife, especially when that little girl died. I mean, she oh. was just like, oh my God, could you imagine being those two watching that little girl die and watching everybody die? I it, that was that was heavy. That was very heavy. Um, the other, I had one more low point, emotional low point, was uh, when Doctor Franklin was shooting up some stems to to get through the to get through the, all the research he was doing. I mean, you, you see a, a a good person making a bad decision for good reasons, and it 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 kind of it kind of kicks you in the gut a little bit. Yeah, no, it's true. That's true. I yeah, I had same as you now. I did have a low point. I guess the lowest point in terms of just, uh, was the whole dinner. I mean, I got what they were trying to do with Sheridan and Delenn and Lanier, and it was interesting. But honestly, the Minbari rituals and everything are kind of interminable and plodding and slow, and that's on purpose. That's how they're supposed to be. And you could tell that Sheridan was completely impatient with them, and so was I. <laughs> Though it was funny that if anything went wrong, Lanier had to start all over again, and he hadn't right. slept for two days. He had to go get some of stem, some of the stems from Franklin. <laughs> Doctor Franklin, do you have any stems? Uh, no. Why would I have stems? <laughs> oh man, I uh, I really like that scene. Uh, my wife comes from a, a, obviously a Jewish family, and uh, her grandmother had a, a a kosher kitchen and and a regular kitchen, so she she. Could she she uh, could um, relate to some of the some of the, the the stuff that was going on there? I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Emotionally low point for sure was the little girl 
And when she said, she's looking for her mama, and Dylan says, do you know what her name is? He says, Mama. I was like, oh, God, rip my heart out, JMS. (laughs) Ah, I just smashed it into the floor. God. And then... And then when they're reunited, this was absolutely just, you've already ripped my heart out and smashed it with a hammer. Now go ahead and chop my legs off. Right. You know what I mean? And chop me up in pieces. And that was when they're reunited and the little girl is dizzy. Yeah. When she's like dizzy and kind of almost faint, I'm just like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Connie Connie gasped. I heard her gasp when we were watching that. She's like, oh, no. Because at that point, we didn't know that it was going to wipe out the entire species. No, I mean, no, and we and didn't know that. Well, and and Delin sees that, and that mm-hmm. Delin is is beaming. She's smiling that she's that Lanier has found the mom. They've been reunited, and she's smiling. And then when the little right. girl is dizzy, Delin's face it just changes. It just freezes and it just cracks, and yep. we crack right along with it. And that right. Oh my gosh! Yeah, as, as and, a, as a father Mia of a little Furlan, girl, I get it. Right, right, exactly. And Mia Furlan's acting in this episode was spectacular. In every yes. scene she was in, it was every so scene. well done. Yes, 100%. She is the Meryl Streep of Eastern Europe. We already know this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't joke a bit when I say that. That's a fact. No, she yeah. Most, she, yeah. Yeah, she, she was, an, uh, yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, any any over any Orenzento award for this one? I don't really have one. No, I don't either. I thought no. I thought it was very well done. No. Yeah, didn't have a crazy person running around screaming to you in the scenery. Right. Most Babylon Five scene. Oh, I, I, you know, I put when uh, Delenn was asking for permission to enter the quarantine zone, and, and the whole argument she gave to uh, Sheridan as to why she wanted yeah. to do it. I thought that was very, uh, very much not just a Minbari feeling, but a very much a, a Babylon Five feeling, and that was that was a, a powerful scene. I mean, that that ranks right up there as one of my character moments too, because it was. Uh, Oh man, it, it it could you could look at it as, as being preachy, you know. But back in 1995, the, I mean, AIDS today is you know you can take a drug for it and you're fine. You know, you see the commercials on TV, and I remember when AIDS was a, an absolute death sentence. Yes, um, and, and it was a horrible way to die. And what she was saying back then, it it, it hit me back then, and it it still hits me now because it it just brings back so many memories of that that time period. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that absolutely. that scene was pretty powerful. Absolutely, um, and and related to that, my most balanced five scene, for, and I'll give you the reason why. The Markab ambassador blames the disease on literally everyone except his own people. Literally everyone except his own people. It's all your fault for being sinful and, and immoral, and so they self-exile. And I just noted there are echoes of this kind of thing all through the series and through Crusade. Mm-hmm. And Crusade kept. Crusade was close to my mind watching this episode because the whole point of the first season of Crusade is a disease, which we'll right. more about that in the spoiler space. Okay. That's like the only spoiler space thing I have is, is something about that. Okay. Favorite character moment? Uh, there was a couple. That, that scene with Delenn that I just mentioned, and also that scene that you mentioned earlier when uh, he said, call me John. That was that was really cool because you could see right then and there that that he he admitted to himself that he was in love with Delenn and uh, mm-hmm. he he wanted you know he wanted to be closer than just coworkers yeah on the space station so I thought that was really cool and that was another scene that was very well acted with not just Mia Furlan but also with Bruce Boxleitner I thought he did a great job in that scene too yeah absolutely yeah mine was when 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 she calls him John and after he had asked her to, and she hugs him and cries, and that look on her face when um, 
he's holding her and she's just reacting to all this nightmare that she and Lanier have been through over the last, at least they're still alive, but they've witnessed it. Yeah. Right. Just that, that, I think, I feel like we see that little moment in the future somewhere, like in credits or something. I think we mm-hmm. see that again. So anyway, uh, was there a funniest moment in this episode? The only thing I have is when, uh, well, there was actually two. Okay. There was when Sheridan fell asleep during, oh. during the, the, the meal. Cause I, I have myself fallen asleep more than once in, in Catholic mass as an altar boy <laughs> that has go. happened to me before. So I, I, I could definitely, I had sympathy for him. And that bit when, um, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when uh, um, Ivanova was kind of dressing down Keffer. That's it. And that she was said, mine. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. So I'll, I'll let you give that one. Oh, I, I don't even have the exact quote. It was something like, don't worry about what's outside. Worry about what's inside. And what's right. inside is me. Is that something like that? Yeah, what's inside is me giving you a direct order, and you're going to follow it. <laughs> and he's like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and at that point, Connie looked over at me, and she goes, Wow, she's kind of a you know she's kind of bad, isn't she? It's like oh, you don't know the half of it, oh. honey. <laughs> so many t-shirts, gate. Right, Ivan- Ivana. You know, if if Helen of Troy was the face that launched a thousand ships, Ivanova <laughs> is the 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 meme generator that launched a thousand t-shirt. Right, we talked about that before. T-shirt slogans, and I love it. Uh, let's see. So, who won this episode? Oh. Uh, the Grim Not, Reaper, the Grim Reaper. Yeah. But no, who else? I mean, I, I, I almost wanted to put Stephen one because he did find the cure to this this horrible disease. But he never. I, oh, nobody won this one. I mean, it, it was yeah. a depressing episode. I mean, no, depressing right. in a in a in a good way, if you can say that. I mean, it ah. it, it really pulled the the emotional heartstrings for sure. Powerful. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's what I had. was If there was one, it was Franklin. At least he prevented it from spreading to the others. And there was an indication that it wouldn't just go after the Pac-Moran next. It would also then maybe mutate again and then go after the people who don't have the yellow-green, you know, whatever. Right, right. So and you needed to stop it. And I'm sure right. that Franklin jumped right on making one for humans and Narn and Centauri and everybody else. right. And Kosh is like, no, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I don't have blood. <laughs> I'm fine. But yet I was poisoning the pilot. Go figure that out. I don't know. Right. It's very strange. <laughs> don't, ask que- don't ask questions. Uh, all right. Let's see. Oh, this is tough. This is tough, Andy. This is tough. Here we go. What's your rating? Oh, no, you yeah. go first this time. You oh, made me go I, first last time. I, I always ask you these <laughs> questions first to be courteous, but I will have. All right. All right. <laughs> I said it's very well done, but it's not exactly the feel-good episode of all time. So I found it kind of in the middle, leaning slightly to the better. I gave it a three, three point zero. That is the exact right answer. I I was the same way. It was it was such a powerful episode and so well done that it it deserved a three. Yeah, yeah. And and as we always point out, there are there are a handful of fives out there, if that, and there's a handful of four point fives. There's some fours, but most of them are going to be 3.5 or lower, right. and that's not bad. That's just not spectacular. We kind of save right. those for the biggest ones. All right. Yeah, this was well, not a top-tier episode, but it, it, it was certainly not a, a bottom-tier one either. No, not at all. Not at all. It was slightly above middle, I think, is where I kind of right. have it. Yeah. Upper and middle it, class. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like it. Yeah. 
All right. Um, that's that. On our next installment, we will cover 219 Divided Loyalty. I went ahead and wrote it down this time. Two night- I'm always like, wait, which ones? Which ones? Quick, quick. 219 Divided Loyalties and 220 The Long Twilight Struggle. There are things coming in 219 and in 220 that are going to blow people's minds if they haven't seen them before. Yeah. And then 21 and 22 are going to put their minds back together and blow them again. <laughs> Oh, we've got four episodes coming up, my friend, that are going to be something. All right. Before we go, and I don't have a lot, but before we go... Jump gate activated. All right. We have jumped into Vorlon space. I mean, spoiler space. Same thing. And I only have this much. Wait. Well, what do you have? Do you have any any spoiler space you want to throw out there? Only thing that I have is is how well they're doing Franklin's issues. Um, yeah. I, I had forgotten how much they had sprinkled here and there throughout, mm-hmm. and it's just little itty bitty things. But they they are laying the groundwork for for his uh, eventual issues. Yeah, um, and I thought that was uh, I, I I think it's it's cool to see him, but it's also depressing to see them yeah. at the same time. Well, because everybody has an issue. They keep right. everybody. You know, Garibaldi's got his alcoholism. Susan's got her telepathy thing. Franklin's got his stems. I mean, you know, we talked about Delenn's issues this this time. Sheridan's got Anna and all that. Everybody's got their issues, and um, they just take their turns coming around. So um, here was my big thing. I didn't know this is the beginning of John and Delenn's relationship. I think that's pretty obvious. If it's not the beginning, it's where we first kind of realize that it is there, that something's right. going on. Right. Um, and speaking of Stephen, I said by a combination of his many responsibilities and his drive to do everything himself, Stephen is being driven himself towards the pharmaceuticals, and that's it's through his good intentions. It's not that he wants to be, you know, I'm going to go experiment with drugs. No, it's that he's right. trying to do everything himself, and he always takes on too much. Right. And you could chalk a little bit of, of that up to hubris too, because you have to yeah. admit that that Franklin's got an ego. Oh God, yes, and uh, and yeah, the hubris is definitely a, a, a fault that I can see him having. Yeah, no doubt. The last thing, and this one I thought was interesting, could the Markab plague have been a shadow weapon because it started out on an island, an isolated island, and we know in terms of Centauri Prime that the shadows really like to find little isolated islands to set up on, mm-hmm. and experiment. Right. And maybe a shadow experiment got out of hand and whoops. That's yeah, that's interesting. I, I I'd be curious to see if that's ever been addressed by by JMS anywhere. I don't know. Well, and beyond even that, and I can stir a little crusade and little call to arms in, even more likely cuz the shadows might not make the mistakes of letting it out. But you know who does like to let out viruses? Yeah, the Drock. The Drock. That was exactly what I thought. This could be, even unintentionally on JMS's part, but this could be the first sign of the Drock, Mm -hmm. that they like these planetary plagues. And you might say, well, wait a minute, how would that one take place and take effect immediately and kill so quickly when the one on Crusade takes five years? And I would remind you that on Crusade, they make the point, or maybe it call to arms at least in a Crusade, that it wasn't ready yet. Right. When the when the Drock released the plague on Earth in, uh, that's dealt with in Crusade, 
it was they had to let it go in a hurry because they were under attack and they hadn't finished developing it and it was going to take five years to mutate to to kill us. Right. So it may be that they had plenty of time to finish the Markab one and it pretty much hits. All right. Well, that's all I've got. Um, any final thoughts for this episode? This episode of our show. No, I think uh, I think it was a good episode. It was a, a two very interesting episodes that we we dealt with. One that se- seemed to fit better when, with season one, mm-hmm. and one that has uh, that that can stand up with any season. Absolutely, well put. And again, we've got four. I'm not even counting how season three begins because you know they kind of ramp season. The seasons usually start big and then ramp down and then slowly build up again. Right. I'm not even putting any thought yet into how season three starts because we've got four. Big, 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 big episodes coming up, and the next two episodes of our show covering them is going to be a lot of fun. I think. Are going to I, I, I'm really looking forward to our next two recording sessions. <laughs> Some of my favorites. Comes the Inquisitor is in my top five. I think. Absolutely. I that that's it. a fantastic episode. I can't wait. We're going to talk about. We're going to have to decide if there's an Orenzento Award. Or if it's just justified <laughs> to be that chewing of the scenery by uh, right. by my man there, I can't think of his name, but he's good, awesome. Good scenery chewing is is fun to watch. Yes, Orenzento Orenzento is bad scenery. <laughs> I mean, there there is a fine line, but yeah, you can have good scenery uh, chewing. It's so good. All right, Andy, we will get out of here for another episode, and I will see you in uh, two weeks, and we will talk about uh, divided loyalties and the long twilight struggle. Take it easy, man. Sounds good. Take care, Van. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.